It really is good to see you all. I just want to say welcome again if you're a visitor. And uh, just uh, carrying a real sense that uh, God wants to meet with us this morning and uh, wants to be with us and um, wants to meet personally with you. I was just thinking, he just knows each of you by name, knows every hair in your head, knows every bit of detail about your life and has made every effort to reveal himself to you and wants to this morning reveal himself to us. And isn't that amazing? We're not just arriving at a building, but we get to meet with the living God. And that highly excites me. And um, if you're new, um, we had some visitors in last week from George Abers and just an incredible weekend of ministry. And if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to go and download it from our website and listen to George. When we have apostolic input, it's just great to, to listen to it and listen to it again because God may be wanting to say something to us as a community. But um, before that, we were in a series in Genesis and we probably in the latter half of it, we've been working through Genesis 1 where there's... Um, it's this beautiful story of creation, and we see God giving us light and separating light and darkness and giving us order and uh, giving us everything that we see around us. And just this beautiful story of God's creation. In Genesis 2, there's just God's kindness to us and giving us Eden, setting a place for us, um, giving us a place to live and being hospitable towards us and thinking about us before we even create. So just this incredible story of God's kindness. And we see man and woman, we see work, we see these different foundational pieces that God gives us in, in Genesis, busy being unlocked for us and really has been an amazing series. And have you enjoyed it? I think it's been great. I think it's foundations for life. It's, it's things that we can build on. And most, most commentators will say, if you get Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the rest of the Bible is, a, is an expository of these three chapters. If you get it, you understand Scripture. If you get it, you understand God. And that's why we're spending some time here in Genesis 1, um, 2, and 3. So we are now Genesis 3, which is a little bit more um, difficult it's where we see problems arising. We see the serpent coming into the scene. We see um, the serpent and Eve starting a conversation. Just a reminder, what conversations do we get involved in that we shouldn't perhaps be involved in? We see the serpents twisting God's word. Did God really say? Undermining God's faithfulness and undermining God's truthfulness and his trustworthiness. It's amazing how he undermines trust, which is our, our engine of obedience. It's amazing how he undermines trust. Can we trust God? He calls into question God's truthfulness and his trustworthiness, and they eat the fruit. They disobey God. They rebel against him. They sin. They, they, they choose their own way rather than God's way. And we see God calls out to them, where are you? Where are you? Even this morning, where are you? And I love how, how God initiates this rescue plan. He says, where are you? Come searching for us. Even this morning, God's searching for us. But at the same time, we see that there's um, consequences for our actions. There's consequences for our rebellion. And now we're in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. You're there. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up. Um, we're going to be in, in chapter 3. And, um, and I'm just going to read through the text, and then we're going to go through it and unpack it. And tools, beautiful worship this morning. I just thought, incredible, we exalted Jesus this morning. And my hope is that I will continue to exalt Jesus this morning. And Lord, we ask you at the start, this is your word. This is not our word, it's yours to us, Lord. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what you're wanting to say to us, Lord. I love how you say when you are exalted, you will draw all men to yourself. And I ask you, Lord, would you help me to exalt you this morning? Would you be the centerpiece? Would you be the one that we see? Would you be the one who's magnified and exalted? And Holy Spirit, we invite you. It says that you come to us and you reveal truth to us. You show us Jesus. And I ask you that you would show us Jesus this morning, Lord. 
we submit to you. We, 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 we lay aside ourselves even for a moment. And would you, would you give us ears to hear you? We long for you, Jesus. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Makes you wonder whether he was standing before. But, um, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. All the moms say, amen. We are aware of that. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate the fruit from, which, uh, from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. That's our text that we're going to be working through this morning, and I'm hoping that we'll see something of the, the grace of God coming through every part of this text. And you might think, how? <laughs> After reading that, it seems quite severe and quite, uh, quite um, strong, actually, on God's part, on the judgment of man and the curse on Satan. And uh, these judgments show the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience and reflect a new reality for humanity, one that is characterized by pain and struggle. All of us are aware of this. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time unpacking the, the, the reality of pain and struggle. Each of us know the difficulty that comes with life. Genesis 1.28, God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That's what he says. And then he says, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The great blessing that God gives to us. And here in this, this next text, we see actually this blessing becomes difficult now. We see pain entering into the multiplication of man. We see the, the subduing and the, the, the ruling over creation becoming difficult and toilsome. And we see the, the, that all of us um, can relate to the difficulty of being fruitful and the difficulty of subduing and the fracture and the strain that's involved with what was the blessing now becoming our judgment. So let's go through it. To the serpent, the first one that he speaks to, it's actually the same order that we see them in Genesis chapter 3. And he says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals, the most crafty, now the most cursed. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Do snakes eat dust? Good question. I've never seen one eat dust. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. A couple of points that I think would be good for us to look through. God doesn't enter into a conversation with Satan. I don't know if you noticed that. He doesn't enter into a conversation with Satan. Eve did. God doesn't. His supreme authority, his supreme judgment, his supreme ability to say, cursed are you above all animals. Cursed are you, condemned are you to, to actually an eternity of damnation. He doesn't enter into a conversation with Satan. And I think we do that at times. We enter into wrong conversations when we shouldn't have, but we see God's supreme authority in not doing that. And he says, you will crawl on your belly. And uh, commentators speak about that. You wonder, was the serpent standing before? Was he, was he upright? Was, he, was, was there a different look to him? Was he more beautiful? We're not sure about that. But now we know that they crawl on their bellies. 
and, um, and they will eat dust. Hebrews, um, the, the Hebrew language is not talking about actual eating dust, but living in a space of humility and defeat all the days of your life. I love that. From the beginning, cursed are you, condemned are you, and you will live in humility and defeat all the days of your life. Isn't that incredible? It's actually, there's no room for repentance to the enemy. There's no room for, for saving. Actually, God says, cursed are you, and, and, and humility and defeat you will live in all the days of your life. Does that make sense? And I will put enmity, that word, enmity, uh, that is God declaring war. God declaring war between, between the woman and between Satan, between man and between, between the serpent. And uh, God is not passive and will not tolerate evil. There's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground in the war. Sometimes I think we think there's, there's kingdom of light, light, kingdom of darkness, and somewhere in between that there's the gray kingdom where, where there's not. There's no neutral ground. Either the kingdom of God is advancing or the kingdom of darkness is advancing. And God here in this statement is declaring outright war between the woman and between, between Satan. And we are aware of this. We see this in our lives. We see war within us. Each of us knows the difficulty of our raging passions and desires and things inside of us that cause us to, to want things that we can't have or have things that we, can't, that we shouldn't have. And there's this war that rages inside of us. Perhaps it's a mental war or a physical war where there's um, um, sickness. There's, there's war inside of us and there's war outside of us. Breakdown in family. Breakdown in country, breakdown in government, breakdown in workplaces, breakdown in, in husband and wife, breakdown in children and parents, breakdown in employees and employers. There's just this, this war which rages, Ukraine and Russia, Hitler and the Jews. We see it everywhere. God's love for sinners in no ways eliminates his holy hatred for sin. For while it's true that God is love, it's also true that God is light. A holy God must deal with sin for the good of the sinner, and for the glory of his name. We see that there's now enmity between the seed of the snake and the seed of the woman. So there's enmity between woman and snake, and then the seed. And then you ask, well, what's the seed of the enemy? What's the seed of the snake? Good question to ask. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that. What's the seed of, of the woman? And Ephesians 2 speaks about, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, talking about the serpent, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The seed of the enemy is those who come under the influence of the dark power, which is Satan. Those who come under the influence, which some would say is all of humanity outside of those who have been saved by Jesus, live under the power of Satan. They are the seed of him because they're under his influence. It's amazing. Matthew 3 verse 7, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, you brood of vipers to the Pharisees. Actually, you brood of vipers, you, you seed of Satan because you're not living in line with the kingdom of God. In some ways, actually, it's, it's self-righteousness. It's, it's your own sense of rightness before God. It's amazing how, how, God, um, how Jesus calls them, you brood of vipers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's amazing. So then we see God in a moment, actually, even before he gets to Adam and Eve, he, he, declares, he declares, actually, he's cursed as Satan. He declares war between woman and the seed. And then he declares the gospel. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. The gospel. God is the first person to ever preach the gospel. And he does this before he judges Adam and Eve. Isn't that incredible? It's God's grace to us 
before we even receive judgment. It's amazing. He says, I will crush, I will crush his head. He will crush his head and, and he will bruise his, his um, heel. Let's look at that a little bit closer. The war is not against flesh and blood. I think this is something that, that I love. This war is far bigger than us. This war is between good and evil. It's between God and Satan. And we find ourselves in the midst of this war because of sin. In some ways, we've opened up Satan into our part of this war. But the war is between God and Satan, good and evil. Women will have a seed. Talking about a singular seed, a singular he. I don't know if you've noticed that. One who is both a man, but yet power, powerful enough to defeat Satan, to defeat this dark force. One crushed, of the, uh, uh, one crushed the head, the other one bruised his heel. Talking about Jesus, we see in Luke chapter 3, there's this long genealogy. I don't know if you've ever read those genealogies in, in, in the, 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 the Gospels, and you wonder, what is this all about? And, uh, and, and it's actually busy showing that the seed from, from Adam and Eve through to Jesus. It's portraying the, the seed of Jesus that will come. And then straight after that, chapter 3, you see Jesus entering into the wilderness. And he begins to battle against Satan. And we see this war which is now happening, this, this crushed heel and this bruised, um, this crushed head and this bruised, bruised heel now beginning this, this, this cosmic battle, which, which is happening now even as Jesus is taking the, the, the place of fallen man. He's no longer in the garden with perfection, but he's in the wilderness with sin. Everything that, that Adam and Eve had, Jesus didn't have. And we see uh, the, the enemy coming and tempting Jesus. Tempting him in the same way, trying to undermine God's truthfulness, trying to undermine God's trustworthiness. And we see Jesus overcoming that. The first battle won. The battle that we couldn't win, he wins. He says actually that the, the enemy left him and looked for a more opportune time. And we see this great story, this battle, this great war climaxing in the work of the cross. Where we see Jesus being bruised by his heel, suffering death, suffering um, a re rejection from his father. And, and yet we see the ultimate crushing of Satan's head in one moment through Jesus' work on the cross, through death and through resurrection. And that's when you all go, amen, amen. Incredible story where God proclaims the gospel right from the start. It was never his plan B. He always knew that there would be one, a deliverer who will come, somebody who would be able to overcome the work which, which Satan brought in and, and Adam and Eve responded to by, by rebelling against God. And their God already, right at the start, is providing a rescue plan. To the woman, he says, and uh, I find it helpful to think about a courtroom because this is judgment. And all of us have watched Judge Judy or... You know, something like that. Not the best, um, you know. What other judgment things are there? CSI and, you know, law and order. And, and, and we can picture a courtroom scene now where, where there's the judge sitting there. And there's the accused and, uh, and a sentence is busy being passed. And, and God has now just passed the sentence on Satan. And you can imagine Adam and Eve sitting there like, oh, my hat. Now what? You know, like, like he didn't even do anything wrong from what we can see. I mean, he didn't tell us to sin, if you think about it. He didn't tell us to sin. He opened up doubt, and we acted upon it. We were given a command, and we disobeyed it. He was cursed. What's going to happen to us? Can you imagine the fear, the trembling? Can you imagine now, now God turns towards them? And, and it's just helpful for us to, to think through that. But, but we can, 
we can already see that God is wanting to act towards them graciously. Can you imagine sitting there knowing that you're condemned? They both, con- I don't know if they confess, but they're both admitted to I ate. I ate. They know that they're guilty. They stand guilty as charged. And yet God, in his unsearchable ways, acts graciously towards them. It's amazing. He curses Satan and he curses the ground, but he doesn't curse Adam and he doesn't curse Eve. Incredible. Doesn't curse Adam and he doesn't curse Eve. And to the woman he says, I will make or multiply your pains in childbearing and they'll be very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Difficult text to try and wrestle through and there's no definite clarity even amongst commentators on where this lands. So I will try and unpack it for us as much as I can. And uh, not cursed, but the effects of sin are real. Pain and childbearing is real. Even for those who've had an epidural, nine months of pregnancy is real. The last trimester is real. The the weight that you carry is real. Miscarriage is real. Losing your life or your wife while giving birth is real. Losing a child while giving birth is real. That pain now enters into the world. Any of you who've been through that would understand that pain more than anyone who wouldn't. You would see the effects of sin, even though it's not directly your fault. The effects of of sin across man is there. Anyone who's tried to raise a child will see the the, the pain in in bringing forth children even to, to old age. Anyone who's lost a child even older, will understand the pain of sin, the effects of sin. And we see two parts to the judgment of the woman. Multiply or increase pains, it makes you think, I wonder if there was pain before, you know. Was there good pain, was there not? I think in some ways there must have been good pain because leprosy was, was a lack of feeling, a lack of pain, which would mean you'd keep hurting yourself. So there must have been something, but I'm just speculating. So increase in pain, in, in, in childbearing, which I've spoken about, and, uh, and the second one is trouble between sexes. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I wonder what that means. Some say your, your sexual desire, your physical desire, will be so much for your husband that you'd be willing to go through the difficulty of the pain of rearing children. Some say the, the psychological desire, and we, we see this, where, where, where some women will stay in a relationship that's abusive. And difficult because, because the need of, of a man in their life is, is, is so dire. Others would say that, that that ambition, that desire, is the same word, and it's only used twice in the Scriptures besides this place here. One in, in, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, and the other place is in, in Songs of Solomon chapter 7, verse 10. And, and one author has gone on to say that that, that, that word desire is the same word that when um, Cain is, is about to give in to temptation to kill his brother, it says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you or to control you, but you must rule over it. And one author goes on to say that, that the effect of, of sin in women is that, is that there will be that tension now between man and woman and who wants to dominate. Who wants to dominate? Because sin wants to rule in you over something else. And, and woman's desire will be to rule over her husband, which goes against the order of God's creation right at the beginning. And we see that happening even when, when the fall happens. And we see actually that, that, actually that um, your desire will be to rule or to usurp. And then in, in the flip side, 
the husband will be to rule or to dominate or to negatively affect in a tyrannical or an abusive way, which we've seen both. We've probably experienced both. Any husband and wife wrestling through roles and responsibilities will know the tension. Any boy and girl, battle of the sexes is that game. My parents love playing it. It's a terrible game. It just creates war and animosity because the... No, I won't say. <laughs> Who wins? <laughs> we both win. No. Um, but, but there's this, the first battle of the sexes, the tension between sexes, which was good. Was good before, where there was a, a natural leading, where men would lead and love and, and service and, and in an in a Ephesians 5 type of way, and women would, would happily submit and, and, and be a helpmeet as, as God created it to be. But as sin comes in, that gets fractured and there's difficulty. And uh, I think what I love is actually sin desires to have you, but choose God's way. Choose God's way, and, and you will, you'll be able to walk through the difficulties of it. What was created good now finds its difficulties and its tension. And Abby and I even feel that in marriage, even in Christ, we often talk about what's my role as a husband? What's your role as a wife? How are we? Because Adam was passive when he should have led, and Eve was, 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 was dominating when she should have submitted. And, and we've we, we got to work these things out by the Spirit of God. And they're not easy, but it's real. And to Adam, to Adam he says, because you listened to your wife, brackets I say, and did not listen to me, you disobeyed me and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from, you were taken, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Because you listened to your wife, who is the strongest voice in your life. Because you listened to so and so and did not obey me. It's the word of God, the highest authority in your life. Do we lead our families, husbands, men, by the, by the word of God? Or do we, do we lead by the pressure of, of the world and the pressure of the voices around us? God gave the command to Adam. Adam is the head of the family. was meant to give the commands to his family and bring them up in the ways of God. Are we keeping the order of God in our lives? Are we keeping the order of God in ourselves and in our family? Sin has not only psychological effects, but there's external effects. We see there's, there's damage to creation around us. I mean, our last floods, we all um, relate to that. There's, there's, there's damage. If any of you have walked through a serious illness or have seen somebody else walk through a serious illness. There's, there's a breakdown in creation. There's something of a, of a brokenness. And, uh, and there's four parts now that we'll see to this judgment. And cursed is the ground because of him. Painful toil. Anybody got a job here? Anybody found it the most riveting, exciting, easy, flourishing place in the world? Very quiet. <laughs> Everyone experienced the difficulty of our workplace. They say the workplace is the great sanctifier, is it not? Amen. Something of the fall of creation 
because of Adam's sin. We see thorns and thistles. You plant something and something else grows up. Anyone who's tried to grow a garden, there's weeds and there's, you know, you, you try and do this in your business and, and this comes along and you're like, well, where did that thing come from? You know, there's, there's a breakdown in our, in our workspace. There's a breakdown in, our, in our, um, our ground, the place that God's given us to, to sow seed. And now there's difficulty and toil there. The land no longer produces will be productive, but will produce things we don't want. Things will grow that we don't want to grow. Weeds will grow instead of crops planted. And, and there is a breakdown in the creation. And, and Romans 8 alludes to it. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. We all experience it. The second one is painful toil. Okay, we all know what it's like to work a difficult day in the marketplace. And, and, and it's important to understand that work is not the curse. <laughs> Just clarify that. Any of you that think that your work is the curse, it's not. We were created to work. God himself is working. Difficulty in work is a part of the judgment of God. And um, difficult employees, difficult employers, difficult clients, Difficult economic systems, difficult tax regimes, difficulty within, difficulty without, everything, there's painful toil. Having to work hard sometimes for very little pay is difficult. Having to pay school fees, having to pay for medical expenses, having to pay for food on the table, realities that all of us can understand, and it's a part of the judgment of God. The third one, by the sweat of his brow, uh, and I've already said that work is not the curse, Difficulty, the struggle, the rat race, nine to five, the need to provide, long hours, having to let people go if you're a boss. It's difficult. Having to fire people, it's not easy. Having to, knowing that this is their income that will sustain their family, but, but due to circumstances, you have to. Difficulty in being fired, perhaps. By the sweat of your pride, after you've, after you've given yourself, maybe perhaps you've been betrayed in business. Business partners being betrayed. Actually, the, the, after you've toiled together for a number of years and somebody just sells you out. Or you, you feel like you've served the company so well for so many years and they've, just, they've not even acknowledged you. You leave or they just, they just um, um, retrench you after, after 20 years service. That's, that's toil. That's, that's painful. That's, that's the sweat of your brow. And it's a part of the, the struggle that we work through. And finally, death. All of us have experienced some form of death, whether it be a loved one, whether it be a parent, whether it be a friend, whether it be um, um, somebody that you love dearly. We, we know that, that, that death will come. It's a reality that all of us face, like taxes. No, death, is, death is a reality that all of us must face. And it's a harsh reality. It's a final reality. It's a no more in this earth. And, um, and it's not release. Death is not release. Death is facing judge, the, the judge for the final judgment. And how we've lived here on earth will make the difference in how we face that. Sometimes we think, and, and people throw around these, these, these comments like they've gone to a better place. Actually, I, I don't know if they have. Only those who've placed their faith in Christ have gone to a better place. 
And I think sometimes we, we live in this pseudo-spiritual world where we try and say things to make people feel better, but the reality of what the Scriptures teach us is that it's not a better place if they don't know Jesus, which should spur us on to preaching the gospel so that those who, who, who are far away would come to know Jesus. Because death is a final reality that each of us has to face and everyone that you love will need to face. And, and by us withholding the truths of the Scriptures, we withhold life to those who could know. We want to, we want to have a good understanding of death and we don't, we don't just like shove our head into the soil like an like a, like a ostrich and hope that things are just going to get better. No, death is real. We will face it. We will need to face God. We will need to face our Creator and we will need to face the final judgment. Whew. So, where's the good news? It's coming. We live in an age that thinks optimistically. You, you know, like we, we sell lies, and the world sells lies that things are going to get better. They're not. They're getting worse, <laughs> if you think about it. They're actually getting worse. Things are getting worse, and, and I think our young people are being sold this lie that, that things will get better. Just hold on, and things will get better, and, and it's actually not true. It's not true, and, and then what happens is, is when things don't get better, people get disillusioned, and they don't know how to, how to um, um, deal with struggle and with sin because, and with, with brokenness because the world is full of brokenness and sin and difficulty and struggles. Every one of us can understand that. And I think the gospel, the realities of Scripture, they don't give us a false view of, of the reality of life. They give us a real understanding of struggle and difficulty, and not only a real understanding, but a real way of coming out of it. Actually, a, a true way, one that's based on substance, not based on some, some motto that's thrown out like, like, like <laughs> I can't even think of one now, but I think of some songs, and, and I don't want to, because some of you may like these songs, but, but some songs that... that that produce this false sense of hope that's, that's actually based on, on nothing. If you think about it, if you listen to the words, they're based on nothing. But the gospel and the truth of Scripture gives us hope that's based on a person. It gives us reality to the, the difficulty of life, but also a way to be able to overcome, a way to walk truly into freedom a way to live outside of the curse of this judgment and to bring others along with us. The effects of sin are real, far-reaching. Every problem in the world, every problem in the world is down to this moment in the garden where Adam and Eve choose their own way rather than God's. And every answer that we need is found in Christ, in the gospel. Every answer that we need is found in Christ. Have you been through pain and suffering? He was a man of sorrows. He understands being alone. Perhaps you've been rejected. Perhaps you've been isolated. Perhaps you've been excluded. Perhaps you feel alone, even right now. He knows what it's like to be alone. In his moments of need, we see him on the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see him being alone so that we could have fellowship. We see him taking the place of our suffering, a man who knows suffering. He understands suffering. He doesn't know from afar, but he understands because he's been there. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the, and through the Lord makes him, sorry, I have read that wrong. 
Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through, though the Lord makes him his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. We see there he's a, a suffering servant. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and will be satisfied. See in Hebrews 4 verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We see the curse falling on him, the curse which we deserved. Galatians 3.3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a pole or on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, the seed, might come to the Gentiles, us, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See Jesus suffering on our behalf so that we don't need to suffer in the same way that the world does. Thorns and thistles, the curse of the land. We see Jesus stripped. We see Jesus with a scarlet robe on him. We see Jesus with the crown of thorns on him. The curse that man, that Adam got, is placed upon our Savior. The sweat of his brow. We see Jesus sweating blood and it falling to the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane as he begins to cry out to his Lord about what he needs to go through to take on the judgment of fallen man. We see him begin in his intense agony, sweating from his, from his head, from his brow, actually. And it's amazing that it says that, that it, it, what does it say? It says like drops of blood falling to the very ground that was cursed. Jesus providing atonement for us, taking on the very judgments of the world for us. The cross of Jesus crushed the heads of Satan. The head of Satan, we see in Romans 16, verse 20, where it says, very soon, take heart, very soon, because you will soon crush the head of Satan. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Every one of the judgments of, of, of Adam and Eve now falling upon Jesus. Bruised heel of Jesus, Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The very curse which we need to sit under, which we've been given from Adam and Eve, Jesus takes care of every single element of that judgment of God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Can we stand? That's the passage of Scripture. Tools, maybe you and the, the band can come up. And um, it's amazing. The, the last part of it is um, where Adam names his wife Eve. And, uh, and they would have heard this. And they would have heard about this, this, this seed that will come and will make a way for the enemy to be crushed. 
It's amazing. They would have heard this. And I love that Adam responds to God. He doesn't just stand, um, you, you know, sort of, what should I do now? He responds to God's truth, his declaration, actually, that there will be a Savior who will come. And, he, and in faith, he names his wife Eve, which means mother of all the living. Actually, that through you, the living will come. Through you, through your seed, through Jesus, all of us are able to enter into the freedom and the life that God has for us. And, and it's actually for us to, to, by faith, respond to Jesus, respond to the Word of God, because we can choose. And as I was praying for this morning, we can, we can in a sense, live under the condemnation of the enemy, or we can live under the, the condemnation even of our own sin and our own guilt and our own um, devastation, or perhaps something's happened to you which, which you, in a sense, feel innocent about, and, it, and it's like a crutch over your life, and it's a, you, you limp with this thing constantly because you, you actually feel like you live under the, the condemnation of something that's happened to you. I actually feel like God this morning wants to just set you free. He wants to set you free by you responding in faith to Him, by responding in faith to, to His work of, of the seed who, who crushes Satan's head. And, and perhaps for us that know Jesus, there is restoration, true restoration. There is freedom from our sin. There is, there is a restoration in our marriages. Restoration and hope is possible. No matter how far gone things may be, order can be established when you bring Jesus into the center of your marriage because, because actually he's, he's taken on the judgment and the curse of, of the difficulty of, of marriage, the difficulty of tension between husband and wife or children and parents. There is hope. Maybe there's difficulty in the workplace or you, or you feel the, the, the angst of betrayal from a business partner or, or of employer or of employees who've left you. And you feel the, the, the challenge of that and the pain of that. There is restoration. There is an ability to overcome. There is an ability to, to live outside of the condemnation of Jesus. Perhaps you've done something which you just cannot forgive yourself about. You wrestle through this thing often. And, and it comes up again and the enemy accuses you day and night and he just brings this thing back again and back again and back again and, and, and it just wants to hold you in that place. But actually in Christ, there is freedom. There is no condemnation for those who live in Jesus. Perhaps there's a child that you're busy praying for that's gone AWOL and they're just not coming back to Jesus. There is always hope. Never give up praying. Never, never give up interceding on behalf of your child because in Christ, there's always hope. And for those who don't know Jesus, for those who perhaps feel like they are, are nowhere near the story of, of, of the life of Christ, actually, it's not complicated. I remember sitting in a place like this where I heard the gospel for the first time and somebody told me that I could put my trust in somebody else besides myself and it released me from the, from, the, from the curse, from the, 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 the difficulty of, of trying to save myself, of trying to make myself better. Actually, it released me from that, and I was able to put my trust in Jesus. And this morning, it's not complicated. I'm not going to make a, a big call, but right where you are this morning, you can, you can say, Lord, this morning I choose to place my faith in that seed, which is Jesus. I choose to place my faith in you. I understand my sin. I understand my brokenness. I see it all around me. But this morning, I'm choosing to enter into a different story. 
choosing to enter into the story of life. I'm choosing to enter into the story of joy and of peace. I'm choosing to leave behind this life of sin and the, the weight of which I carry. And I'm choosing to enter into the life of freedom. And where you are this morning, even as we respond with this song now, I would encourage you to, to open up your heart to Jesus and, and actually invite him in. It says that he stands at the door and he knocks. He knocks. He's waiting to come in and spend time with you. He's waiting to enjoy supper with you. And I love one author. He says so often we, we, we talk to him through the keyhole or we, we slip him money under the door because we just want to appease him. But actually this morning he wants to come and he wants to enter into a relationship with you. He wants you to fling wide the door and to walk into the fullness of salvation where you get to enjoy the fullness of his presence. And I, and I encourage you this morning to make that choice. Today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait for another time, but, but today actually respond to God in your heart, even as we worship together as a band and as a church. Amen.